0: for a sermon. Come on. (laughs) Uh, Good morning, CBC. My name is Will Cody, and I'm the campus minister at Austin P. State University uh, for our denomination. And um, usually when I'm up here, we're talking about James, uh, the Epistle of James, but it's Advent season, so we're going to spend a few weeks in the Gospel of Matthew, the first couple chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, Our text today is, if you have one of those blue pew Bibles, it's on page 807, if you want to turn there. And uh, the next few weeks, we're going to be asking and seeking answers in God's Word, the question, what happened when Jesus was born, and why does that matter to us today? So let's take that question with us as we turn, and our Bibles will be on the screen too, to page 807, Matthew chapter 1. So what happened when Jesus was born, and why does that matter today? Let's hear God speak to us from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Hear God speak to you. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, Father, would you help us um, in this text? As we hear you speak to us, we pray that the beauty of who Jesus is and what he has done for us would melt our hearts and change our hearts, that we would be more and more like him. And we pray in his name, amen. So after college, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, so I decided why not move to Korea and teach English there, so I did that. And uh, I ended up teaching English there for eight years, and one of my hobbies that I picked up there, I kind of had this already, but one of my hobbies was uh, playing darts. So for several years, I and several of my friends, every Monday night, we'd go to the international area of Seoul, and we would uh, get dinner together and then go play darts in, in this dart league. So one night after our games were over, I and a few of my friends were trying to get a taxi home. And for whatever reason, sometimes the taxis in Seoul, South Korea— Um, Sometimes they would just, especially at night, they would not pick up foreigners. So they would just drive by. They'd ignore you. Um, Maybe they just thought it would be a hassle to communicate with foreigners late at night. Um, But one night we were standing there trying to hail all these cabs to get back home. um, And they all had, like, their roof lights on, so they were available to pick up customers, but they just were ignoring us or just not wanting to pick us up for some reason. And one taxi was stopped at this red light, and my friend, and we're going to call him Jay, Jay. we're not going to use his real name for reasons you'll see in a moment. Jay had been, he'd been carrying this leftover pizza box all night from the pizza place we had gone to, and um, he had drank a lot of Mountain Dew that night, was hyped up on caffeine. Um, So so Jay uh, runs up and tries to like open the door of this taxi, but the door's locked, and a couple, after a couple moments, the taxi starts to drive off, and he's holding on to to the door, and he gets so angry, he takes his pizza box, and he chucks it at the taxi cabin, so the the box hits the, the back right rear door of the window of the taxi cab. Pizza goes flying everywhere. And I see the taxi's brake lights, you know, slam on. The door opens. The ta- taxi driver's door opens. And in this very moment, I just, maybe you felt this way before too, but as, so as this is unfolding, I just feel this s- such intense cringe and uncomfortableness, and I'm filled with just such disgust at this mess that Jay has cre- is creating right in front of me. That I have to turn around. So I turn away from him and I start walking the other direction (laughs) because I cannot take this. It's too much. Um, So as I start to walk away, I hear the taxi driver yelling at my friend Jay, my friend Jay yelling back at the taxi driver. Um, And a few moments later, some American military police showed up uh, because they were worried that my friend might be a US soldier and creating some international incident right there in that moment. Um, So this whole time, I'm trying to just act like I am not with Jay, I'm at a distance from Jay. I am not a part of this mess that Jay created while, and interestingly, my other friends are with us. They actually kind of came and stayed with Jay the whole time. Um, So uh, after a few minutes, the Korean police came and they all kind of got it sorted out and everything finally got resolved. Um, And afterwards, one of my friends was like, Will, where did you go? Like, (laughs) why didn't you stay with Jay while this was all going on? And I told him, I I did not want to get involved in this mess. Because for me, why would I want to be identified with that? Why would I want to bear in any way the consequences of what, or be associated at all with something that I didn't do, something that I didn't cause, and in fact, kind of disgusted me, what happened? Um, Today, to this day, I'm not sure what I should have done. Probably walking away wasn't the best idea. But I tell this story because what we just read from Matthew is the opposite of what I did that faithful night in Seoul, I walked away from Jay and the mess that he had made, the mess that he was like shown to be in that moment, but God looked down at us in our mess. This whole world, the the humanity mess, and our personal lives, that mess too. um, All the ways that we hurt people, all the ways that we use people, we use others, the ways that we lash out at other people, refuse to admit that we're wrong. um, God saw all of that. And he didn't move away like I did from Jay. He moved toward. He drew near to us, to the human race in time and history, and to us by his spirit. He draws near to us in the middle of the mess that is our lives. Let's go through this story, and we're going to seek to answer this question. What happened when Jesus was born, and why does this matter? Here's our big idea. The big idea is that after reading this text, and this is what Joseph experienced too, after reading this text and experiencing this, you should entrust yourself to Jesus. And there are two things we're going to focus on in this text, two reasons why you should focus, two, two reasons that we should entrust ourselves to Jesus. The person of Christ saves us. Those might sound like weird points at first, but you'll get it. The person of Christ saves us. The work of Christ saves us. So you can entrust yourself your soul, your body, to Jesus. So these are our three points. The person of Christ saves us, the work of Christ saves us, so you can entrust yourself to Jesus. Let's look at our first point. The person of Jesus saves us. Look with me in verses 18 and 19. So Matthew writes, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So we're just going to go through this text as to the, and just see what it means and wh- how it applies to our lives. So this guy, Joseph, here's the story. This guy, Joseph, he has this fiance Mary, And back in, way back in ye olden days, <laughs> at this time, um, they did this weird thing called a betrothal. And basically what happened was you were married, in a sense, but at the same time, you didn't live together, and you didn't do some of the special things that married people get to do yet until, <laughs> until this big ceremony that happens after about a year. So they're waiting for this ceremony, and as they're waiting for the ceremony, Joseph, uh, Mary comes to Joseph and tells, her, tells him that she is pregnant and that it's not from any man, but it's from the Holy Spirit. Now, you can imagine how Joseph might respond To something like that, I would be totally weirded out (laughs) if (laughs) it happened to me. Um, But either you know, if from Joseph's point of view, she's either straight up lying or she's out of her mind, something. And he decides that this mess is too much for me. This mess is too much for him. He's out, and he's going to turn away from Mary, but he's going to do it in this in an honorable way that doesn't put her to shame. He's going to do it quietly so it doesn't um, ruin her reputation as much as he could. He does it as least as he can as possible. Uh, but for reasons that Pastor Richard, I think he'll get to next week, that, comes that um, Joseph is a descendant of uh, uh, King David. We'll get to these, I think, next week. Um, an angel of the Lord comes to Joseph, and the angel of the Lord meets Joseph in a dream, and he tells Joseph the best news that has ever been told up to this point in history. This is the best thing that's ever been announced in the history of the world up to this point in history. Look at verse 20. He says, But as, he con- as, a, as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, there's no way that I can possibly stand up here and overemphasize how important and big this news is. Um, we're going to dwell on what the angel says here for a little while. We're only scratching the surface. I feel, you know, I, I think a lot of pastors, preachers feel this way. I, like, I wish we could go into this deeper, but I can't. We're just going to scratch the surface here of this text. And you're going to be like, what about this? And this is, in my mind, I'm, I'm like, they're going to say, like, what about this? And then like, <laughs> I can't get into it all. Um, so what the angel is describing here is something we call, in the realm of theology, we call this the Incarnation. The angel tells Joseph about the person of Christ, who this child is. The angel first tells him about this child's identity. The angel says that that which is conceived in the holy in, conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. So there was no man involved in the creation of this child. The child's father is God. So this little fetus that's inside of Mary's womb has two natures. <laughs> the one child is, the, the, this one child is from Mary, so this child is human. And this one child is from God, so this child is divine. Here's how Joseph would have heard this news, that this one child is God and man. He might, this might not have clicked right away, but at some point, I bet, you know, Joseph was drinking coffee and dropped his <laughs> thing on the, because he was just hit him. What was going on here? What you, what the angel is saying, he's saying t- to Joseph, Joseph, you know that God, Yahweh, that created the universe in Genesis 1 and 2? Do you know that God, Yahweh, that saved Israel from the Egyptians through these ten plagues and parting the Red Sea? Do you know that God, Joseph, that dwelt on Mount Sinai and smoke and fire and delivered the Ten Commandments and sent his prophets to his people? Do you know that God that holds the universe together by the word of his power at every moment. That God, Yahweh, is inside of Mary's womb right now as a person, as a baby, as a human being. There's a lot going on <laughs> in this text, in this, in this one sentence. But here's our point from this text. The angel is saying that God has somehow taken on, he has assumed human nature with all that goes along with it, all that goes along with being a human. This is what the incarnation means. Incarnation literally means incarnate, in the flesh, God in the flesh. God entered into human history. God entered into the human condition by taking on flesh and blood. He took on bones and a soul. He was a human being with real human desires, real human minds. He had a mind and a body that grew and developed as he grew into from a boy to a man. He experienced joy and sorrows. He experienced aches and pains. Remember when he, his friend Lazarus died, how, how he filled with sorrow and anguish he was? He was a human that experienced puberty and pimples <laughs> and <laughs> hunger. Yet he lacked one thing. He lacked sin. There was no evil, no evil inside of Jesus. And this human being didn't just, this is kind of important, but this human being didn't just appear on the scene. Um, Jesus wasn't like a start-over, a do-over human being, formed, again, from the dust of the ground like Adam was. Um, He was born into the human family. He was born into our human race. God himself became bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. He became one of us. He incarnated. He became one of us. Now, why is it so important We talk about the person of Christ, that he is God and man? Why is it so important to believe this? You know, for centuries and centuries, ever since the... If you didn't believe this, you were not considered a Christian. If you did not believe that... the. Jesus was God and man. You were considered a heretic, <laughs> especially if you were pre- teaching this. Um, why is this so important? It's because God in the flesh is the only way that God could rescue us. The, the human race had failed from the start, from Adam. The human race had failed. We are a pitiful mess. We, humans can do beautiful and amazing, things. don't get me wrong, humans can do beautiful and amazing things. But we are a pitiful mess, especially when we compare that to what we were made for, what God originally made us for. Um, the problem is we do not fundamentally, from the start, we do, not, we do not trust God. We do not see him as trustworthy, even though that's a lie. Um, so we break all—because we don't believe that he's trustworthy, we'll break any of his laws we have to. We, we use people for sexual and emotional gratification. We murder people with our words behind their backs or in front of them. We use power to use people to even abuse people instead of serving them. We lie and we grasp and we destroy those that get in the way of the things that we lust for, the things that we think are going to finally take care of us. We are a sad perversion of what humans were made to be. And because of that, we stand condemned by God. But, God didn't want it this way. So while we were a mess, while we were like my friend Jay, but a million times worse, He sent His Son to be the human that we were meant to be, and to stand in God's before God in our place. He is our representative. He came to be our human representative before God. If you read the Gospels yourself, and I would recommend reading—just Mark is the shortest Gospel. Read it. Get to know this Jesus. Get to know the person and work of Jesus. It's there's, it's so easy to read the Gospel of Mark. Just read it. It's the shortest gospel. Read the Gospels yourself, and you'll see that as a human being, Jesus always trusted the Father. He always kept his laws. Jesus always loved everybody that God sent into his life perfectly. He never used people. He always wielded his power for service to others. He overcame for in, he overcame every temptation by trusting in His Heavenly Father at all times. You know how hard it is to withstand a temptation? Uh, It's harder at five minutes than one minute, right? To withstand a temptation for five minutes, one minute. It's harder one hour than five minutes to withstand a temptation, right? How about your whole life withstanding temptation? How hard must that have been? How much would that have hurt? This is what Jesus did for us. So He could be a perfect representation of a human race, our representative. So by Jesus' own righteousness, he redeem- He has his own righteousness that he shares with us, and he's got so much righteousness. It's, there's enough for everybody. And by his own righteousness, he redeems his people from condemnation. He restores our relationship with God. He reconciles us to God. His righteousness as the God-man, as the perfect God-man, saves you. Not your own righteousness. We need Jesus righteousness, because we don't have any before God. We have none. So this is why the New Testament writers, um, over and over again, they refer to the the Christian's relationship with God as being in Christ. Over and over again, read the New Testament, it's everywhere. In Christ, in Christ. I have a few examples up here. If you trust in Jesus, if you just have faith in Him, if you just trust Him, then when God sees you, God sees you in Jesus. God sees Jesus' righteousness covering You. Here are just three examples. There's tons of them. But Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who have trusted Christ Jesus. Um, Another one, uh, 1 Corinthians. And because of him, you, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. In Christ. And Ephesians 2. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. You are sons of God through faith. You have been reconciled to God perfectly through faith. Now, what this is talking about, faith in Jesus, trusting in Him, and trusting yourself. He is worth entrusting Himself to. I love catechisms, and I love the Westminster Shorter Catechism is my fave. And um, there's a question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, I think we have it up. It says, um, what is faith in Jesus Christ? It's okay, it's all right. Is, the question is, what is faith in Jesus Christ? What is faith in Jesus Christ? Because if you have faith in Jesus Christ, all this is yours. No condemnation, redemption, uh, righteousness. What is faith in Jesus Christ? Listen, faith in Christ is a saving grace. It means it's a gift. It's a saving grace. It's a saving gift. Even that faith is a gift. Uh, faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone. Nothing else. We rest upon him alone for salvation. Not my good works. All Him. Rest upon Him alone for salvation as He is offered to us in the gospel, which is the thing that we're reading right now. <laughs> the gospel. So Jesus came to become one of us and to represent us before God. He came to be our perfect righteousness that we could never attain. So that He came to be our hero. He is our hero. He's the one hero in the Bible. No, everybody else in the hero in the Bible failed. He is the one hero in the Bible. That would come and be our righteousness for us. So, we've been talking here primarily about the person of Jesus, how the person of Jesus saves us. But this text also that we're reading points to, we've talked about it a little bit already, but it's also talking about the work of Christ. What is the work of Jesus? That because of the work of Jesus, we can entrust ourselves to him. The work of Christ, our second point, is that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. So look with me in verse 21. Matthew writes, the, um, the angel goes on in verse 21, the angel says to Joseph, says, She, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So we've seen a little bit about who Jesus is, the person of Christ. The angel then goes on to speak of the work of Jesus. What is the work of Jesus? And it's really interesting. The work of Jesus is actually inherent in Jesus' name. Uh, the name Jesus, I guess in, in um, Hebrew would be Yeshua. It, the name literally means God saves. Jesus' name literally says Yahweh saves. God saves. Yahweh saves. Yahweh's the personal name for God. Yahweh saves. So what the angel said, literally, when what Joseph heard the, <laughs> the uh, angel say was this. He said, you shall call his name Yahweh saves, for he will save his people from their sins. You shall call his name Jesus Yahweh saves, for he will save his people from their sins. You hear what the, the angel is saying, what he's proclaiming? He's already said some crazy stuff, but he's saying that even more boldly that this child is God. This God, this child is Yahweh. And on top of this, this God man will save his people. From their sins, from their moral debts that they have incurred, from all the ways that they've been breaking this world, hurting each other, and and uh, blaspheming God, he is going to he is going to save this child is going to save them from the consequences of what they've done. Now we've mentioned how Jesus lives a perfect righteous life, but on top of this, there's one more problem: our sins. When we receive Jesus' righteousness, what is it, what is to be done with, the, with our guilt? What is to be done with the guilt from all of our sins? What happens with the record of moral debt to a holy God, a perfect God, whose world we've destroyed? Let me give you an example. And this is the, this might be the pinnacle of my whole life in terms of um, funny things I've said. Um, Jummy and I got married about 12 uh, years ago. Next month, that's right. 12 years ago, <laughs> next month. And a few months in, we had a very special moment after we got married. It was a very special moment together. So one evening, we were talking about money, and we we're talking about finances, and it occurs to Jungmi for the first time to ask me, wait, how much is your student loan debt? And, uh, of course, Jungmi didn't have any student loan debt. She didn't have any debt or anything whatsoever. But I looked at her right in the eye, and I told her the truth. I said, babe, I have no idea. Laughter <laughs> I was just paying the debt off you know. every month. I was paying the minimum debt off every month. I didn't, I had to, I didn't know what my debt was. So we went online. I found out. I had to do the forgot my password and we um, <laughs> got into my we- the website and logged into the lender and um, we looked at the balance um, together and Jungmi was shocked. <laughs> I don't remember how much it is because I don't remember numbers and money stuff. So I don't even know how much money I make. But she said to me, babe, how do you have such a large debt? And I said, "This is my finest moment." I said, "Babe, this isn't my debt. We're married. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is our debt." <laughs> actually, that actually happened. My <laughs> finest moment. She did not think it was my finest moment. She didn't <laughs> think it was But when when Jungmi married me, unfortunately for her. But fortunately for me, she <laughs> bound herself up with me so that my problems are now her problems. And she promised me in front of God and all these people <laughs> that she would never leave. That she would <laughs> never leave. <laughs> a very good deal for me. It's been very, very good 12 years for me. And this is why marriage is such a beautiful picture of God's love with his people. <laughs> Ephesians 5, that's not a joke. Ephesians 5, y'all. <laughs> if, you, if you trust in Jesus, if you are among his people, then he has bound himself up with you such that your problems are now his problems, and he will never leave you or forsake you. And the biggest problem that you have, that you have is that you, you have sinned and you continue to sin against the holy God in this holy place, this world, and it's all your fault. And Jesus didn't accidentally get saddled with the problem of like Jungmi did. He was like, oh, I didn't realize. It, it was not a surprise to him that you had this debt. In fact, he came to save you because you had this debt. He came and identified with human beings to take on our debt, to take on your debt, and to save his people from their sins. Um, when I looked at my friend Jay and that mess that he had, my reaction was, I do not want to be identified with that. I do not want to be associated with that. I do not want to bear any of the consequences of what he's doing. I am uncomfortable, and I'm disgusted, and I moved away. But when Jesus saw the disgusting mess of our lives, Jesus did the opposite. He moved toward me. He moved toward us. He took on a human nature. He now has a human nature in heaven. His body is in heaven with nails through the—it's crazy. He took on a human nature to save us, from the consequences of what we've done before we even asked for help, before we even asked him to come. When you trust or when you trust or when you trusted in Jesus, what we talked about a few minutes ago, he shares with you his righteousness before God. But what about your debt of sin? Jesus takes your debt of sin and he pays the debt himself for you. And what that looked like was Jesus 33 or so years after the text we're reading right now, on the cross, he takes the condemnation that all people deserve. When he dies on the cross, 33 or so years later, here's how Martin Luther describes what happened, what it looked like for him to pay your debt. Uh, Luther says, Jesus became the greatest sinner that ever was, he became our representative. Death for Jesus was not sleep, but the wages of sin death was a sting, death unmodified and unmitigated, death as involving all that sin deserved. Jesus was totally exposed to God's abhorrence of sin, and Paul puts it this way, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He took our sin, our, the guilt from our sin and its consequences, and in return, He gives us His righteousness. It's the worst deal ever for Jesus. It's the best deal ever for us. Um, this is—I've mentioned this before. I, there's a lot of um, arguments against Christianity. Um, none of them bother me. I love talking. I love hearing people's—you um, know—their challenges of Christianity. The one thing is, this is too good to be true. <laughs> I've said this before. This is too good to be true. Why would God do this? If you ask me, if you're like, "This doesn't make sense," i will be like, yeah, I, "I agree with you." So Luther and Paul they're both expressing that Jesus because of the great love with which he loved bad people willingly takes the record of sin and condemnation that we deserve and gives us his righteousness and finally we are reconciled with God forever. And if Jesus is the one that did all this, I can't mess it up. It's unmessupable. <laughs> one of my favorite summaries of this good news is that Jesus lived the life you should have lived. And he died the death you should have died. Jesus lived the life you should have lived, and he died the death you should have died. This is how he saves people from their sins. He identifies with us, he represents us, and then he dies in our stead. He reconciles us to God. And when Jesus rose from the grave three days later, it proved that everything he said about himself was true. Everything this angel saying about this baby was true when he destroyed death once and for all. He has done everything to save you, body and soul in life and death, and you can entrust yourself to this man, this God-man. He will meet you in the greatest mess of your life. Or he'll meet you while you're doing your best. He'll meet you at your worst. You need, we need him at all times. And I forget this. And I think, uh, I know we all forget this. And when we're not sure that he has reconciled us to God once and for all, that Jesus has done this, what we do is we run to other saviors like money and comfort and sex and power control which is rebellion and sin if we're not trusting in him or we try to drum up our own righteousness by being good people being good moral people following the rules so god will like us which ironically is just as much sin as the other rebellion i just mentioned you know trying to be good to be reconciled to God means looking at the person and work of Jesus in His incarnation, in His death, in His resurrection, and saying, I can do better than that. Right? <laughs> it's, it's, th- this is sin as well. But God wants us to just trust Him. Get Do away with our bad deeds and our good deeds and just trust Him. So He speaks to us. That is why He speaks to us in His Word. That is what this Word from Matthew chapter 1 is all about. This good news that we're hearing today. But this morning... We don't just get to hear this good news of reconciliation between God and man. We actually get to experience it here in this meal. We get to experience reconciliation with God in this meal, the Lord's Supper. You know, eating a meal together, whether it's in the Bible or in in your life, um, this is something that, why do people do this? It's so that they can form relationships, deepen relationships, and enjoy relationships. Enjoy the other person. We're about to eat a meal with God that Jesus is mediating by his Holy Spirit. Um, Just as we needed Jesus's incarnation to come and reach us in the darkness, in our lostness, and to save us, we need this meal, we need this, continue to need him, and we need this meal to strengthen our faith in Jesus. If you have doubts, uh, you who trust in Jesus, if you have doubts that you're righteous in God's sight, and that you are welcome here to eat with him, um, then why is he inviting you to the table right now? You're welcome, and he desires you, you who trust in Jesus. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, After supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This meal is for those who have been saved by Jesus, who have been reconciled to God by Jesus, and have responded by becoming members in a local church that proclaims the gospel, um, have been baptized in a church. Um, that preaches the good news of Jesus. Um, These are his people. That's what, if you want to know where his people are, those are are his people. If you've not been baptized or become a member at a church that preaches the gospel, if this doesn't describe you, then we love that you are here, but we would ask that you refrain from taking, coming and taking communion. If you have any questions about this, I would love to talk to you. I'm sure that any of the elders would love to talk with you about this if you have questions. Um, But if you came to church today and you trust in Jesus, but this has been a terrible week, of failing, struggling to trust in Jesus, and failing again, I would encourage you especially to come and eat and realize, experience your reconciliation with God that Jesus has wrought for you.